tonight we're in James chapter 5. Um, we're going to be doing verses 1 through 12. Um, this is a, an amazing uh, part of the Bible here as we get into the very last book of James. Um, if you've been following the book of James, it's been an amazing study. But um, what I'll do is I'll go ahead and read the first 12 verses, um, and then we'll go back and um, ask the Lord to speak into our hearts. So, But before we get started tonight, let's ask the Lord to uh, bless our time together. And so, Lord, uh, we come to you tonight, Lord, um, to seek you, Lord, tonight. Lord, we ask that you would um, comfort us. Lord, would you uh, speak into our hearts? Uh, Lord, we ask that, you're, um, that you would teach us tonight, Lord, that we would um, be taught by you, Lord, tonight. Help us to see you in all areas of our lives, Father. We pray that you would continue to use each and every one of us here not only us people as we've gathered here tonight, Lord, but we pray as people are online um, here in this study, Father, we pray that you would use them um, in a mighty way, Father. And so, Lord, um, we love you and we thank you for the book of James, Lord, and we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'm going to start reading the first uh, 12 verses here. And so here we go. It's uh, verse 1. It says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches are are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten your gold and silver are corroded and their corrosion will be witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire you have heaped up treasure in the last days indeed the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields which you kept back by fraud cry out and the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the lord of the sabbath so you have lived on the earth in, in pleasures and luxury. You have fatted your hearts as in the day of slaughter. You have condemned, you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endure. You have heard of the perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, lest you fall into judgment. And so as we've been studying here through the, the book of James, uh, we come to the last uh, chapter, chapter 5. And as we uh, got into the very first verses, as we read it there, James is going to be pointing out uh, people. He's going to give a strong rebuke to people who are rich or people who are wealthy. And so we're going to see this um, as we open up here. And this is uh, you know, interesting, uh, but I want everybody to know that the Bible does not speak about or have anything against people who are wealthy. It doesn't have anything about to do about things that are wealthy. And I think by tonight's study, well, this will become very clear. Uh, but as we were studying through the, uh, the book of Timothy, at 1 Timothy 6.10, it, it says it is for the love of money, it is the root of all evil. 
Uh, many people quote that. They say that, that it is the money that is the root of all evil. No, it is the love of money that is the root of all evil. And so I'll share just a little uh, story with you tonight. And so this is uh, in 1923, um, the world's most successful financiers uh, met at the Edgewater Beach Hotel in Chicago. Uh, present, the people that were there present, was the president of the largest steel company, the greatest uh, wheat uh, speculator, the president of the New York Stock Exchange, um, the president of the of Wall Street, uh, the president of the Bank of uh, the International um, Settlement uh, or Settlement uh, Head, and also the head of the world's greatest monopoly. It says here that collectively they controlled more wealth than the U.S. Treasury at this particular time. And so, what's interesting is the person who wrote this story said that two decades later. They went back and, and searched for these men and seeing where they were in their lives. And so two decades later, they went. And the president of the largest steel company, they say he lived on borrowed money the last five years of his life, and he died penniless. The wheat speculator, he died abroad, broke, uh, unable to pay his bills. Um, the president of the New York Stock Exchange uh, was released from Sing Sing prison uh, when they checked back on him. And it says here, the member of the, the, president, uh, the president's cabinet uh, was pardoned from prison so he could die at home. Um, and so he was pardoned. And it says here, the president of Wall Street um, committed suicide. Um, the president of the Bank of International uh, Settlements uh, also committed suicide. That we see that one thing is that through this wealth, and I think many of us have heard of people who have won tremendous amounts of money, um, and they have also later on that we hear about people that they made a show about people who won lottery, and they said it was the biggest disaster that ever happened in their life. It's because we need, you know, many of us, many people don't know um, that when that kind of money, we need godly wisdom. We need godly wisdom to guide us to what we're going to do, and this is the thing that. Uh, we're going to see that tonight that James is speaking to the men that they would have godly wisdom. And, and I believe this strong rebuke before we get into it tonight, I think that it is an attempt for James to reach the people that they could change in their ways. And I think this is the reason why this uh, study is so powerful. And uh, as we look at this, you know, uh, I think many of us, and even people that are very wealthy um, or live a lot better than we do, um, it's kind of like we always look at it. The people who are wealthy, they always look at themselves and they say, I'm not wealthy, right? And we always look at it. And it's kind of like the, it's kind of like the wealthy people kind of do the same thing we do when uh, we're, we're trying to say that God's a good God. And we say, hey, well, I'm not as bad as that person, right? Well, this is what the rich people do. They say, well, I'm not as rich as this guy, right? Or they start naming people that, uh, you know, that own Amazon and they start naming, naming all these different people. But the thing about it, the truth of it is that in the Bible, that each one of us in this room are more wealthier than some of these uh, prophets and kings that were. We can see that we have running water and we, you know, things have, have, have progressed, but we are much more wealthy. And so um, and I just love the way the study comes together tonight. And so we'll get here, we'll get started. And um, here we go, first verse. It says, Come now. You rich, weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you. And so James is speaking about to them, and he is um, speaking about them about their wealth, that they are not using it, that they are taking advantage, and that they are actually hoarding um, the money, the wealth that they've been given. And we know that the wealth, that it actually comes from God. And we need to understand that, that any time, that, and I don't know, many of us in a room, when I was young and before I came to know Christ, I used to say, no, no, that's not true. I earned this. But what we don't understand is who gave you the breath? 
to go and to work in the place. Who gives you life? It is God who gives us all things. And so one of the things as, as uh, James is rebuking them here, and notice that he uses the exclamation point there. It says, come now, you rich. Weep and howl for your miseries that are coming upon you, exclamation point. So he's excited. He's, he's trying to convey a message to them that he does not want them to continue in this. One of the things that uh, reminded me of this, and this story um, comes from uh, Luke chapter 19, uh, verses 1 through 10. And this was Jesus, and he was tra traveling through Jericho. And there was a man um, named Zacchaeus. Um, the, the Bible says that he was a chief tax collector, and that he was also very rich. And one of the things that I, that I love about it, that Zacchaeus had a desire to see Jesus. Uh, but the Bible says that as Jesus was walking along with all the people and the crowd was with him, they say he could not see Jesus because they said that he was short in stature. And, and this really spoke to me because I said, I, I've been there before. I, I've been there. I've been, it's happened before where, where there's a crowd coming you can't see. Uh, but I love the way that the Bible is so clear and it so tells the story in such detail that it says that Zacchaeus ran ahead of the people where Jesus was going to be and he climbed a sycamore tree. And as he climbed the sycamore tree, he was hanging in the tree. And as Jesus walked by, he stopped and he saw Zacchaeus up in the tree. And he said, he said, Zacchaeus, make haste. Come down from there, for I need to come to your house today. And this, the Bible says that, that Zacchaeus said he received him joyfully. He received Jesus joyfully as he came down. And as he went walking away with Zacchaeus and Jesus went walking away, one of the things that the people there, they said, who is this man that goes to the house of sinners? Who is this man that goes to the house of sinners? And so they knew that Zacchaeus was a sinner. As they arrived there at the house, Zacchaeus said something to Jesus. He said, he said Jesus he said, half of my wealth I give to the poor. And he said, if I have taken anything unjustly or by false pretenses, I will replace it fourfold. And so he... And so Jesus said to, says to Zacchaeus, salvation has come to your house today. He said, because the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so it's just an amazing, but I want you to see something in the heart of Zacchaeus, that he was a man that was very wealthy and he was the chief tax collector. And we all know that they gathered their money by skimming off the top of whatever they wanted and whatever the tax was, they could set the price. So he was very wealthy but I, we see something in Zacchaeus, but he knew in his heart that he was lacking something. He was lacking something, that he was, something was missing, even though he had all the wealth. And this is the thing that James is speaking about tonight, that he was lacking that, that in, in, inward, that in his heart, that he was lacking the things of God. And so he sought after it. And I love this, that while he was, the Bible says that he was a man of short stature, that Jesus could see his big heart. And this is the thing, God is the only one, Jesus Christ, the only one that can read hearts, and he can read our hearts. And we see this man, Zacchaeus, that Jesus read his heart, and we see that he was lacking in something, and he went, sought after it. And this is the thing about Jesus Christ. The Bible says very clearly, whoever seeks after him will find him, right, will find him. And so I just love that with this man, Zacchaeus. So here in verse 2, it says, it says your riches are, are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. The wealthy back in those days, they would often um, attribute their wealth to be their food, their delicacies, the things that they would eat. 
It would also be their clothing. Uh, many of them had silk clothing that nobody else could have. And so as they walked in the streets, it was very uh, evident that they were very, very wealthy because nobody else could afford the clothing. And they ate extravagant foods, delicacies that nobody else could eat. But here, James is telling him that those things are moth-eaten, that those things are not going to get you into heaven. Those things are not, that we're, we're going to see that he's going to speak to him a little bit more about that. Oh, excuse me, uh, Mike. Go ahead. Jerry, I'm sorry. Oh, Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, is he kind of, I don't know, I kind of got the reference like when he says, uh, you know, where, where we get saved and have uh, Christ's righteousness, our clothing, dress ourselves in white, so that's our righteousness from, from Jesus. They sound because of their heart or their position, whatever they were on the outside of their body is that what's yes, yeah, that's that's very good, very good, um, Jerry. So yeah, I mean he's talking about the clothing that, that, that Jesus has clothed us in his in his righteousness. That you know when 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 God looks down as we have received Christ, that God looks down on us as believers and He sees us clothed in the righteousness of Christ. He does no longer see us for who we are. He sees us clothed in the righteousness, and so. This is something that uh, Jerry made reference of. So yeah, it's very good, Jerry. And so here in verse 3, it says, Your gold and silver are corroded, and their corrosion will be witnessed against you, and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. As it speaks about them heaping up treasure in the last days, uh, Matthew six nineteen through 20 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where rust uh, and moths can destroy and where thieves can break in and steal. It says, lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. And this treasure that he's speaking about that we lay up in heaven is loving others. Sharing the love of Christ with others is this treasure. And this is sending our treasures ahead into heaven. One of the things that he talks about, their gold and silver are corroded. Um, we know that those metals do not corrode, but he is saying that they are worthless because you're not using them for your heavenly um, you're not using them for your heavenly uh, gifts that you should be giving them to the people or sharing and loving with other people. And they say that all these things will be a witness against them. Um, and one of the things that it reminded me, and this also comes from Luke and is in the chapter 6, uh, verses 19 through 31. And we've spoken about this parable, or I, I shouldn't say a parable, it is a story. Um, and I, I want you to know that it is a story and it is not a parable because Jesus never named names in parables. He always named when he named a name, it was a story. And it is a story of uh, Lazarus, um, the beggar, and the rich man. And, and we all are very familiar with the story, right, that, the, that, the, uh, that says that the rich man fared very sumptuously. And they said that, uh, uh, that the, poor, the poor man, the beggar, Lazarus, the beggar, as he came along, they said that he uh, desire was to eat from the rich man's table the crumbs. And he was ill, and he said that the dogs would, would lick up the sores from, the, from the, his sores that Lazarus had on his, on his ankles and his legs. And he ate, he, this is what the Bible says. And so what's interesting, they say that when he died, they both died. And I love this because it says that Lazarus the beggar was carried by the angels. But it said that the rich man, it just said he died in the Bible. It didn't say anything, it just said he died. But when they both died, they went to a place, and we know, and we'll speak a little bit more about it because it can get in-depth. He went to Abraham's bosom, right? We talked about this in a, a place of comfort and a place of torment, right? And so as we see that the rich man says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. He said, call over um, Lazarus and have him dip his finger in water and put it on my tongue because I am to in torment. 
And he tells them, he said, didn't, he tells them, Abraham tells them, didn't you receive in your lives, didn't you receive the good things? And Lazarus, the beggar, the evil things? And he says, now he is being comforted and you are in torment. But there's one thing that we see in this story that oftentimes people take this story and they think it has something to do with the wealth. It had nothing to do with the wealth, but what it had something to do with is what James is talking about here. That the wealth that he had, that he didn't reach out to the man that was the beggar at his front door every day. And it was no coincidence that the Lord put that beggar every day at, at his front door. The Lord was trying to reach his heart, was trying to get him to soften his hard heart. But it really spoke to me this week as we think about these things that there is people that we interact with all the time that are less fortunate than we are. And, and, and I know it, it's an area that oftentimes we've spoken about and we don't know when to give a helping hand to somebody and we don't know when not to. But as we spoke about before, we need to pray and say, Lord, I, I love that a few um, years ago a, a man came and shared that there was somebody sitting on a curb outside of an AMPM, and he said that, that this man did not ask for any money. He was sitting on the curb. He didn't ask for any money. He said that he went in to pay for his gas. He came back out, and as he was walking past, he said he said that he had this like feeling that this man needed something just by the way he was he was uh, you know just looking around on the curb, and he had a feeling that he needed something. And he said he got to his car, and he said, Lord, if this man needs something, please put it on my heart. And so he went over and he asked the man, he said, do you need something? Do you need help? And he said, I, I don't want to tell you a sad story because I, I know everybody's, and I even dread when I hear people's sad stories. But he said, I'm, I'm not from around here. And he said, about five miles back, my car broke down. And I don't even have money to buy a gas can. I don't have, I, I don't even have no money to buy anything. My car ran out of gas. And so I just needed some help, but I, I, I don't know anybody here. And he said, come on. And he went in and bought a gas can, filled it up and took him. And that man said, he said, hey, give me your address and everything. He said, no, no, no. This is a gesture of kindness. I don't want to give you anything. But the man took one of his business cards out of his car and left with it. He said about three months later, this man said that he had got back on his feet and he had actually paid him back the money that he gave him. And he told him that it was a God thing and that he was, God was doing a work in his life by this gesture of kindness that he had poured out on this man. And so it's powerful that, that, that those small little things, they go a long ways. And so here in verse 4, it says, Indeed, uh, the wages of laborers um, who mowed the, your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the reapers have reached the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. And I know many times you think, uh, you see this, and you, many people think it's the Lord of the Sabbath. Um, but if you look down in your Bible, it says here most of the time it'll have a little letter by it. And this is the Lord, we reference to the Lord of hosts. Um, and so this is uh, what it points out here. But what James is speaking about here is these, these men, these wealthy people, um, got this money by fraud. What they were doing is they were ripping off the day laborers. The people that were coming and working in their fields, That they, the day laborers only had enough money to supply. They lived daily off whatever they worked off. This is what they would take home for their family to eat and so this is the thing and this these uh, wealthy people were ripping off the day laborers and they were not paying them we're telling them i'll pay you tomorrow and i'll pay you the next day and then when that day it was like oh no you really didn't work on wednesday that was tuesday was like no no i worked on wednesday and so back then there was no punch card or there was no anything that you could go back and say no no i worked that day this, this is how many hours i worked that day and so they were taking advantage of it and, and i love this because god loves uh, the people the unfortunate and he always makes work uh, way for his in his word um, this comes from Deuteronomy um, 24, 15, and, uh, 14 and 15. And it says, um, You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy, 
whenever one of your brother or one of the aliens who is in your land uh, within your gates, each day you shall give him his wages and not let um, the sun go down on it, for he is poor and has set his heart on it, lest he cry out against you to the Lord and it be sin to you. Um, there's also a couple of other verses, Leviticus 19.13, uh, Jeremiah 22.13, Malachi 3.5. But it shows that the Lord loves the unfortunate in the world. And I think many times that people feel that doesn't God see the poor people in the world? God sees them very clearly. But he has allowed provision in his word to not allow. It is mankind that, that, that allows these atrocities and these things to happen. And this is what... James is speaking to these landowners about that you have people working in your land and you're not paying them and you're receiving your wealth fraudulently. And this is one of the things that um, and it, it actually said that it is coming to the Lord and that they are bringing it to him. Go ahead. So one of the things, too, that just reminded me of what you're talking about was when the one occasion that we saw Jesus uh, really upset and angry. Uh, at the temple, uh, that they had turned the temple into this fiasco. And part of that, when you read some other things, is because uh, part of what the Pharisees and others that were selling things, the weighing of the gifts and the offerings and such, scales being uh, rigged. Yes. So that, and, and the thing is, of course, the Lord sees all things, right? Yes. There's nothing that he cannot see. Yes. And that's just a part of, like, this yes. cheating yes. business that was so upsetting to him that, of course, you know, here is this holy, the holy temple of God. And you guys are, and of course, you know, the prostitute thing, all of yes. this was just, yes. uh, just absolutely awful. Yes, yes. And it was horrible, like you spoke about, Mark, that people would bring, uh, for a sacrifice, they would be bring a lamb from their own town. They would bring it and, and themselves. And, they, and just like us, right, um, they would probably say, hey, we'll maybe save a few dollars and we'll go buy a lamb. And you look at it, and it's, it's nothing wrong with it. You take it up to Jerusalem and they offer it for a sacrifice, and they find one black hair on it. And they say, oh, no, this, this, uh, you, can't, you can't offer this as a sacrifice. We just happen to have one here, and it's three times as much as the one you brought. <laughs> And, but what but they said, but no problem though, we'll take your old one in exchange for it and they give it to you and so you end up doing it and the next guy comes along and he buys the one with the black hair and they just probably pluck it out of there and say, here he is, there's your guy, there's your sacrifice. And so yes, you're right, absolutely, they, they were getting ripped off by the people. Yeah, this is the golden rule. Uh, this is a golden rule. Yes, the golden rule. Yes. Treat your brother as you would treat yourself. Love others as you would love yourself and God with all your heart and soul. Yes, that's exactly what this is saying. Yes, absolutely. You know, so if they were focused on God, they wouldn't have done it in the first place. That's right. And you know they wouldn't treat their brother that way. That's right. That's right. And so yes, absolutely. Go ahead, Joe. You would think if there was an opportunity for them to have arrested Christ, that that would have been it. But the fact of the matter was is that he was right. And and and, and when he cleared that that temple of, of the money changers, mm -hmm. they. There, there was there was no arrest warrant yes. or anything like yes. that. They didn't they didn't pursue yes. him. And, and you know, you, Joseph, uh, you you talk about that, and you know, we look all we all look back and we said, hey, if that would have been a time for Jesus to be arrested, that would be the time. But we also uh, need to understand that He is God, 
And so it's interesting that his time had not come yet. And so he had already, he's, already, he's already looking at the beginning and the end, and he knew that none of these things were going to happen to him because it wouldn't happen until the ordained time of God that he, had, that he was actually ordained in that time. And so it couldn't happen before or after. But yeah, you're right. Absolutely, the people could have tried to arrest him, but that time they were in fear because he had such a following at that time. So they were in fear. I think they knew that he was right. Yeah, well, they, they knew he was right. If they did arrest him, they, they would have been exposed. Yes, their conscience was, was <coughs> working on that. Very good, Joseph. Yes. Very good. So here in verse 5, it says, You have lived on the earth in pleasures and luxury. You have fatted your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Um, and speaking about the day of a slaughter, it's, it's an illusion of uh, the animals um, and the fatted. Um, one of the things that there was a, an author that actually was invited to go into the palace of Nero. Um, and he was walking around in this extravag extravagantly, you can imagine the way that he lived. And in the middle of the courtyard, there was a, a well-looking, um, you know, it would look like a well in the center, and he thought it was a well. And so he actually asked the person who was giving him the tour, what is that? Actually, what do they use that little well in the center of the courtyard for? What do they use it for? And he said that there's so much wealth that Nero has that they eat themselves till they're sick. And when they get sick, they'll go over and they'll vomit in this well. And this is what they use it for. And so they get to clear some room in there. But it's interesting because we see that kind of wealth, but rather than share it with the poor people, they would prefer to vomit it to make room to go back and eat different delicacies rather than giving it to other people. Um, but one of the things that really kind of spoke to me about this also is that we oftentimes, that, you know, they say in America is one of the largest uh, in the world that we have storages all over the United States of America. And it really spoke to me because it's interesting like how many of us will pay money to store stuff down at the storage place rather than give it to people that are less fortunate. And I, I know I'm no different than you guys, but you don't understand, Mike, there's good stuff in that storage. <laughs> I, know, I know, I'm with you guys, I'm with you guys. But there, there's stuff that I haven't used for years. There's stuff that I haven't used for years. And so really this kind of spoke to me um, this week. And so as I was feeling convicted, I wanted to share the conviction with everyone else. Thank you, Mike. Go ahead, Paul. There's a swap meet. Yes. Absolutely. Okay, so uh, we're in... Uh, getting better. Verse 6, it says, You have condemned and you have murdered the just. He does not resist you. When it speaks about murdering the just, um, some commentators believe that it was, they were speaking of Jesus Christ. Others believe that they were speaking of uh, Stephen um, from Acts 7.54. Uh, but one of the things that's, uh, that we do know here is that it'll be very shortly that James himself will be uh, martyred um, for what he believes in being follower of Christ. Um, this doesn't come from the Bible, but it comes from some of the uh, historians, Josephus being one of them, um, and this other uh, man named Hymenus was the other, that they actually said that James was actually thrown from the top of the temple down. Um, but they say that the fall did not kill him, and they say that he was saying, um, Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so he was saying this as... They were throwing, and they came down, and they, they, they were uh, throwing rocks at him. They were stoning him, Josephus says. And then someone came along. They named the man, and they named along. He came along with a club, and with one blow, he, he ended um, James's life. And this was while James was martyred for his faith. Mm -hmm. And so we see that, um, that the things of God are not, um, they're, they're, not in high, they're, they're not held in high regard at this time. So here in verse um, 7, it says, Therefore, be patient, brother, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits um, for the precious fruit of the earth, 
waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and latter rains. We see now that he is addressing now, for the first time in this chapter, he's addressing the believers. Now he calls them brethren. Um, in the first section, verses uh, 1 um, through 6, he is addressing the non-believers, people that are not followers of Christ, um, people that are wealthy. Um, and so we see now that he is addressing people, brethren, and he's talking about the coming of the Lord. Um, and he talks about the farmer that waits. In Israel, it is dry farming. It is dry farming in Israel. They have very little irrigation. Um, now they are very sophisticated, but back then they had dry irrigate or dry actually uh, irrigation. And so what they did is they waited on the early and the latter rains. And what it's pointing out here is that the farmer had to be patient because he would do all the work and plant the seed, but he would have faith that the rains would come and put water on that soil so that way that the crops would grow. But he had faith. But in that he was working. And this is what James is calling us, is we wait for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be doing the work of Christ in the time, that we wouldn't be sitting back knowing that Jesus Christ will return and he is coming back. We need to always be reminded of that. And this reminds me of a couple of weeks ago, uh, my boss at work, he said, hey, he's looking on his iPhone and he says, hey, 100% chance it's going to rain tomorrow, so we got to do this and we got to clear the gutter. He had us doing an array of stuff. He got all the crew together. Hey, we're doing all this stuff, doing all this stuff. We're doing it all because the next day it was 100% chance it was going to rain. And so the next day at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, I come into his office. I just happened to be in there. And I say, hey, Tom, it hasn't rained. And he says, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. He says, hold on. He pulls out his iPhone. He looks at it. And he says, well, there's 30% it's going to rain by 3 o'clock now, though. And I think many times that we think, that when, when the Lord said that he was going to return, I think many times we think it's like that. That we look out at this, the world and the scape of things that are going on and we think that the, the percentage of the Lord's return is diminishing. No, it's 100%. He will return. And, and we need to be mindful of that. But the most important thing as we as believers, as we're going to be doing the work of Christ as we're waiting, we need to be ready for him to come. And he could come. There isn't anything in the Bible that's holding him back. He could come tonight within the next few minutes. And what an amazing time that would be if he was. And so here um, in verse 8 it says, You also be patient. Um, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. This is an opportunity for us to stand firm and be encouraged, knowing that the Lord's return draws near. Uh, many times that people, as they talk about the end of days, and the Bible is very clear about this, no one knows the day or the hour uh, that when Lord's return, and I love what Pastor Ed says. He says, when somebody makes a prediction that the Lord is going to come, you can bet the, everything that it's not going to happen on that day. And so we just know that the Lord is the one that knows when he's going to return. They say not even the angels in heaven know when he will return. Uh, but one of the things that early on when Jesus came and he was crucified, and they say Jesus walked on the earth, they say that we were living in the last days. And then also, too, when and on May 14, 1948, when Israel became once again a nation, the, the clock started clicking and they started saying, we are living in the last days. And, and I don't know, we're not here to make predictions, but we know that we are going to be closer. We are closer today than we were yesterday. And we need to be ready for the Lord's return. And I always love this. And this always comes from, as we were studying through 1 Thessalonians um, 4, 16 and 17, it says, I just love hearing this, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And it says, Then we, will, we, will, we who are alive and remain shall be caught up 
And that is the word harpazoed in the Greek, and in the Latin it's rapturus, where we get the English word raptured, um, together with him in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. And so this is God's promise, and so 100%, his percentage does not diminish by the things that are going on in the world. It never diminishes. God will return for his church. This is his promise, and so he will return for them. So here in verse 9 it says, Do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. When I, when I read this, I kind of chuckled a little bit because it reminded me, um, I worked in a warehouse um, with a bunch of guys, and there was a guy in particular, and I'm just going to use a fictitious name. His name was David, let's say, and he was, and I, I just, he was always grumbling, or he's always complaining, and maybe some of us know people like this. He was always complaining, saying, oh, the company we're oh, this company doesn't do this, this company doesn't do that. They do this wrong, they don't do anything, we don't get our raises, we don't get our bonuses, we don't get this. And he was always complaining, always complaining about everything. And there was one day that I was out, out there in the shop, and I noticed that it's like, I was like, wow, here it is, it's like 10 o'clock in the morning. And I was like, wow, I haven't heard David complain about nothing. There must be something going on today, something going on. So I went out on the floor, and I was looking that the owner's daughter was doing evaluation of that department that day. And so he didn't say a peep. And it's amazing when, the, when, and that's the thing about the Lord, that a lot of people grumble and complain about things that are going on. But if the Lord was here, we, we, we are more blessed than we can imagine. And so we shouldn't grumble about things. But I wanted to bring up a story tonight that the Lord um, it does, uh, not very satisfied with grumblers. And Pastor Ed has used this for, uh, chapter here, and I, I think it was so powerful. Um, and so uh, this is, uh, comes from Numbers 21, verses 4 through 9. And the people spoke against Moses, and they spoke against the Lord. Um, and the Lord, in his anger, he sent um, these fiery serpents into the camp. Um, and so he has, these fiery serpents were going, and they were biting people. And it said that many people died, and many people were dying. And so the people came to Moses, and they said, Moses, we have sinned against you, and we have sinned against God. And you pray to the Lord that he takes these fiery serpents away from us. And so Moses goes and prays to the Lord. And we all know the story that the Lord tells him to get a bronze pole and to put one of those uh, serpents on it and put it in the center of the, of the city. And that anyone who had gotten bitten by one of the snakes, had gotten bitten by the fiery serpents, that if he looked upon that, that he shall live. And this is powerful because we see that in the story, we all know that the, 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 bronze, uh, the bronze serpent it is a picture of the cross. But bronze in the Bible is the picture of judgment. And we see something in that. And it says that whoever looks upon that, that their judgment will be taken. And so as we look upon the cross of Jesus Christ and we have trust and we have faith that our judgment, that he took it upon the cross, that we shall live. This is what the Bible says. It says in this story that we shall live. The thing that's so amazing about the story is that the fiery serpents that each and every one of us in this room have been bitten by that fiery serpent because that serpent, uh, his bite is sin. And this is a thing that we see in the story that the people that were getting bitten, they were sin. And whoever has sin and looks upon the cross will be saved, will be saved and will not die. And it's just so powerful. And if you don't know that symbol today is used and we see it in hospitals everywhere and we see it all over the place and I love bringing it to people's attention when I'm working I work in a place where it's a medical facility and I love to bring the attention in the elevators they have it they call it caduceus that they actually you see it in there and it's a, and you say hey do you know that that came from the bible and people say no 
no, no, really? I, they go, no, it's for hospitals. I go, no, it came from the Bible. It, it came from Jesus. And you tell them the story, and they're amazed by it. So it gives you an opportunity to share the love of Christ with them. But it's a symbol of healing. And we see that um, by his stripes, we are healed. We are healed by his stripes. So beautiful. And so here in 10, it says, My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example of suffering and patience. And we were all together in Hebrews 11 when all the, uh, the people that were in the hall of faith, um, we remember that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they all endured and had tremendous amount of patience. And they endured suffering. Um, but they were patient and waiting. And we see that they were uh, in the hall of faith, trusting and having faith in the things of God. And so here um, in verse 11, it says, um, in verse 11, it says, Indeed, we count them blessed who endure um, you have heard of the perseverance of Job and have seen the end intended by the Lord, that the Lord is very compassionate and merciful. Um, when I see that, that it's compassionate and merciful, I'm always reminded that this is the same God that we serve today, that he is merciful and compassionate towards us. Um, I, I grew up in a church that I always thought God was mad at me. I always thought God was ready to strike me down with a lightning bolt. Um, and I just love to hear about the love of Christ. And this is one of the things that it is the goodness of God that draws men to repent. That it is the goodness that we can see that we don't deserve any of it, but he pours his love upon us. So I think it's just so powerful that we see that. But one of the things I wanted to, to bring up with the book of Job, and, and Willie did such an amazing job as we went through the book of Job. We, we remember the story that, that, uh, that it says that the sons of uh, the sons of God were actually having a meeting and the Lord was there with them and Satan came along and remember what he said he said have you considered my servant Job um, he said he talked about him he was such an upright man and remember what Satan did he accused um, the Lord of putting a hedge around Job he said you, yeah the reason why he does you put a hedge around him he says as soon as you take some things away from him he'll curse you to your face and so this is the Lord said, you know, and, and what, what we see in this story is that, the, that, that Satan had to ask for permission from the Lord. And remember what the Lord, he gave him permission. And so all those things that we remember that he lost his children, he lost his house, he lost his wealth. He lost all these things in one day. And if that wasn't enough, in the second go around, we see that Job lost his health and he had these huge boils and he was scraping them off with uh, pieces of pottery that he was in. And remember, the only um, good thing or the only thing that he was left for from his family was his wife, right? And his wife was the one that says, curse God and die. Why don't you curse God and die? And I love what Job mm -hmm. says. You know, Job said, he said, shall we receive, adver shall we receive um, uh, blessings from God, blessings from God, and not receive adversity from him? And so he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. And so he never cursed God and through the whole chapters. And it's, a, it's long. It's 42 chapters. But we remember that his friends come along and they accuse him of all kinds of sin in his life. And Job, all this time, he doesn't know why he has all this sin in his life. But I love this when it talked about that the end that was intended for Job, that all along this was the end intended for Job. And very early on in chapter 1, I wanted to share this with you because I thought it was powerful. In chapter 1, it says that Job had 7,000 sheep, um, 3,000 camels, 500 um, yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and he had uh, seven sons and three daughters. This is what he, he had for himself. This is what it says there. But I love this. In, in Job uh, 42.10, it says that the Lord gave Job twice as much. 
that you've had before. And so we see that God is very good with numbers. JJ, you're going to love this. Um, so, so the Lord gave him, he previously had 7,000 sheep, but in chapter 42, now he gave him uh, 14,000 sheep. And you see before when he had 3,000 camels, now he has 6,000 camels. Um, we see that he had 500 uh, yoke of oxen, and now he has 1,000 yoke of oxen, and he had 500 female donkeys, and now the Lord has given him 1,000 female um, donkeys. But I want you to see something in this in the children that it said there in verse 42 that he gave him seven sons and three daughters, ten, the same amount. But it was a way of the Lord telling Job that your first ten children are with me here in heaven. And so these ten children, if you raise them, your second pair, to come to know the Lord, when you come to heaven with me, you'll have twice as much. And it's just so beautiful. We see that God is uh, a good mathematician, and he knows how, to, and he was speaking to Job through that, that he only gave him ten children in the end. I just love that. It was powerful. Yeah, right there, just what you mentioned is, he says, uh, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh. Taketh, yes. Blessed be the name of the yes. Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hey, Mike. Go ahead. One thing that I, I learned when we were studying Job was, because at that point in time, we all laughed that, that um, his wife, you know, he had his wife and his wife. But the thing that I learned that I took away from that was that woman had, had a lot of pain. She was going through, she, everything that Job lost, his wife lost. Yeah. And so... For me, it was normal because she was a human being. She was frustrated and said, curse God and die. Well, yes. it was just plain and simple frustration. It wasn't that she was an evil woman or, or a bad wife. No, she was. She lost everything he lost. Sure. That's what I learned from sure. Job. No, it's, it's powerful that you mentioned that. I mean, she was in anguish. She was in anguish. She lost her children. She lost everything just like, you know, just like Job had lost. One of the things that I, I thought was powerful as we studied through the book of Job, one of the things that I, you know, caught on to was the fact that we see that, you remember that he said that anything that Satan said, anything that, that is of his, you can go ahead and take from, from him. But one of the things that I love that he did not take his wife. And one of the things that we see in that, that Satan knows God's word more than we do, because we see something in that, that it says when the two shall become one, right? They shall become one. And so now Job and his wife were one. Yes. And so this is the reason why his wife was not attacked, because God honors marriage, and Satan knew that they were now joined. And so your communion that we have with our wives, it is not just another, just another relationship. No, it is God sees us as one. As one, and it's so beautiful that we see that. Thank you, Mike. That's a powerful, 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 yeah. very powerful. And so here, um, in verse twelve, it says, "But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any oath, uh, but let your yes be yes and your no be no. These two fall into judgment." Um, the the Jews back in James's day, they would have two different kinds of oaths. They would have a binding oath um, that had God's name in it, and they had a non-binding oath which did not have God's name in it. And it would be the same thing as us if somebody came up and they said, are you going to promise? And behind your back, you're like, <laughs> behind your back, you're like, oh, yeah, you're crossing your fingers. And this is what uh, they're talking about, that they had these non-binding oaths that they were not making and they didn't have the word of God and so they weren't honoring them. But what he's saying, that we are to be men to be trustworthy. Um, there shouldn't be anybody saying that we need to swear on anything. We should be trustworthy. Our yes be yes and our no be no. And this is uh, who we are called to be as men of God. 
And so the community would look at us, and this is powerful because we talk so many, I, I think I talk to you guys all the time about these different symbols that come on the, on the work, job site, and they say, hey, well, the people that come in with the, the construction trucks and they come in with a little fish on the back, watch out for those guys. <laughs> and so we have to be reminded that we are, we are to reflect Christ in all things. We are to reflect Christ in all things. Uh, the last thing I wanted to leave you with that we know, um, as we spoke about tonight, about, um, the, God, uh, about the Lord's return, um, God's promise is that he will return for his bride. And the only thing we pray tonight to help us, Lord, to be ready. Amen? Amen. So, Father God, once again, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this study. Um, we thank you um, for this place that we may gather here um, and hear your word, Father. You spoke mightily tonight, Lord. Um, may you continue to um, speak into our hearts, Lord. May we take your word um, to a world um, so that so desperately needs it, Father. Uh, we love you, Lord. And we pray all of these things tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Yes. What was the guy's name that was in the tree? Zacchaeus. 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 Zacch